It's hard to make a fighter jet movie without propping up the military. Today I'm talking about Top Gun Maverick as military propaganda. This is Cuts of Indulgent Movie Podcast. Welcome to Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. I am Scott, and today, uh, continuing our Top Gun Maverick coverage and interpretations, as it were, and this time going into the military propaganda angle, which is not, I'm not breaking any new ground by calling the movie, uh, you know, having some semblance of military propaganda, but I do think it's very interesting, um, and I think it's it brings together a lot of things that people have talked about related to movies, especially when it involves depictions of the military, involvement of the military, and so forth. So, Without further ado, let's get started. Two inevitable analyses and criticisms come from every movie involving the U.S. military. The first is that the film is jingoistic propaganda, supporting the United States military-industrial complex and war machine and the military as a whole. The second, and one people tend to care a lot less about, is that the film does not accurately represent how the military works. This includes how the uh, chain of command works and what people would or wouldn't get in trouble for. And Top Gun Maverick is no different. As soon as the film was released, the reactions of I like this movie but it's blatant propaganda takes came in out en masse and were only bolstered by the film's incredible success and plot elements, which we will address shortly. So where do my opinions land? Well, I can't fully subscribe to the Francois Truffaut angle who argued that even anti-war films are war films, though I can say this can apply to a number of anti-war films whose showiest elements ended up being celebrated by the wrong people with a completely disparate point of view than the film in question. While at the same time, I can also look at the history of military movies and how movies involving the U.S. military are made, and how successful certain kinds of movies are in America, and see how Top Gun, intentional or not, fits the bill. But to explain all of that, I'm going to have to go into military movie production, so let's talk about working with the military. If you're an American film studio trying to make a movie about the United States military, chances are you want access to military equipment. This can include, and is not limited to, uniforms, weapons, and especially vehicles, namely the planes and helicopters. Studios love those planes and helicopters. At first glance, this looks like a straightforward, mutually beneficial relationship. The studio gets the equipment they want, and the military either gets money or free advertising for their awesomeness via the movie. See all of the young men who who enthusiastically joined the Navy after the original Top Gun. But that's not the full extent of the military's involvement in the movie. What is not as well known, though it does seem to be changing, is that in exchange for the equipment usage, the military gets editorial control over how the military is portrayed. And this is where a lot of American-made war movies can get compromised. There are no obvious hard and fast rules for movies with military involvement, but the general gist is that individuals are allowed to be critiqued, but the institution isn't. And this is very evident in both Top Gun movies, including Top Gun Maverick. For instance, John Hamm's character is portrayed as too rigid and easy on the pil- on the pilots that are picked for the mission, but no one is questioning the mission itself, or whether these Navy pilots should even be in combat. Or for a more infamous example, John Favreau fought for a line in Iron Man that would reference the high suicide rate amongst combat veterans that was ultimately scrapped by the military and Marvel. The main takeaway is that movies with the military's involvement have have a limit to how critical they can be about the institutions they are portraying. And as such, they can never truly be anti-military or fully anti-war. 
Not that audience really want to see anti-war movies nowadays. Which brings us to the box office reality of war movies. The current average American moviegoer probably has two strong inclinations. They likely vocally support the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, and they also do not want to hear too much about the problems within the military, especially the problems soldiers face once they get out of the military or how and why all of the wars American soldiers have fought in the Middle East within recent memory got started. The baseline, at least nowadays, seems to be that glorious combat reinforcing the bravery and sacrifices of soldiers is good. Critiquing, the, the, critiquing war in the military? Not so much. If you want a good example for this shift, I like to look at the disparate reactions to movies about the Vietnam War from the 80s and anti-war movies of the late 2000s and early 2010s. The 80s had a laundry list of Vietnam movies with right and left-wing bents that all did very well at the box office. Movies like Oliver Stone's Platoon portrayed the Vietnam War as a mistake that turned men into animals, got a bunch of poor people killed, and turned psychopaths loose. Whereas movies like Missing in Action imagined going back to Vietnam to win and bring the lost men home. Very different political angles, but the emphasis on the need to defend and protect the men who fought shines through in both. Likewise, the notion is that the Vietnam War was conducted improperly, either because it didn't need to be fought in the first place or because it put soldiers in a bad position. Admittedly, this was an easier position to take in the 80s since Vietnam veterans were prominent in American society and the culture agreed that said war wasn't worth the human cost. Very different story in the 2000s and 2010s. Regardless of quality, almost every anti-war movie made in the past two decades has failed at the box office, where distinctly pro-soldier movies have done very well. The individual qualities of these movies has varied. For instance, I think a lot of the anti-war movies were preaching to the choir versus making a new point or saying anything incisive, see movies like The Green Zone. And as brutal as they are, films like The Outpost and Lone, Survival have, Lone Survivor sorry, have strong emotional hooks. But only movies that are pro-America, pro-military, and pro-soldiers, like the biggest movie of Clint Eastwood's career, while at the same time being one of his worst, American Sniper, was a box office success. And on a human level, I think that makes sense. The good heroic stories go down easier than the hard ones, especially when you may know people who are in the military actively fighting. Many of the films refer to conflicts that were active at the time of release. It also goes hand-in-hand hand with American politics, which deifies soldiers and then fails to take care of them after the fact. Note, this is the same throughout American history, not just recently. This is a roundabout way of saying that if you make a movie with the military as its cornerstone, it's probably to make everyone involved look heroic, and not dig into the nature of the conflict too much, which is exactly what Top Gun Maverick avoids doing. So now we get into the politics of avoiding politics. Because Top Gun Maverick is portraying a branch of the military, it is going to have politics in it. I mean, all movies do, one way or another, but overt politics about fighting, soldiers, and war are baked into this kind of movie. This isn't a criticism, it's just what happens when you make a movie like this. Pleasing the gung-ho pro-military crowd in this situation isn't hard. Give us heroic soldiers who work together and do awesome stuff, and if you can, show off some hardware and battlefield heroics. The baseline of appeal of this movie works on most potential viewers, especially when you know Tom Cruise and company are doing a lot of the work in the cockpit for real. And if you add in some nostalgia from the Reagan era, whoo boy, you could be onto something there. The Call of Duty crowd will go nuts for this too. But how do you make this movie feel like less of a yay America movie? Who on earth can they fight and why? How about a nondescript power about to make nuclear weapons? 
that'll work. As much as this aspect has been memed and joke about, this is the smartest way to not only avoid a minefield, aka wouldn't be great to show a bunch of black and brown people being bombed by Americans as cool, and also makes your film feel more timeless. I'd argue this is why movies like Red Dawn that imagined a competent Soviet invasion feel so 80s. It's an aggressive, defensive action against a looming threat. That's fine for most viewers and means people can watch with a clear conscience and enjoy a time every time a missile strike lands. Of course, the nature of Maverick's mission and enemy has a lot of political implications as well by trying to not have any. Putting everything we've been talking about together, Top Gun Maverick feels specifically designed to prevent the audience from questioning the need for the final mission. The only big questions throughout this movie are people are grappling with are who is going to fly? Can it be done? Can Maverick prepare the pilots enough? Will everyone make it home? That's it. At no point is the mission itself questioned. No one questions the intelligence that says there's a nuclear facility being built, which is kind of interesting in a post-Iraq war world, or how this hostile power has so much and so many technolo technologically up-to-date methods for combat combating attacks. The mission itself looks like it takes place in Canada or Washington State. The geography is only distinctive for being a snowy mountain, not the desert training area that's used early. Even the enemy pilots are masked by black helmets that make them like faceless video game NPCs. None of this surprises me, of course. Tom Cruise and company want, made a movie that needed excuses for to <laughs> sorry to put Maverick back in combat. They needed big planes and also wanted to make a movie with mass appeal where the audience didn't need to wonder whether civilians were being killed by a bombing run. What I want to highlight is that for as simple and straightforward as Top Gun Maverick is, it's easy to see why some people called it pro-military propaganda, and we should bear that in mind anytime a heroic soldier appears on screen. This has been Scott's Off Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Off Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.